Well, good morning. Ooh, that's loud. Okay, fantastic. I am so happy to be with you all today. And those of us who are joining online, welcome. And uh, hi, Mom. How's it going? Okay. Um, I'm so thankful for you guys. And uh, I believe that uh, God has a word for you today. We're going to take a few week break in between um, series here. We're going to talk about the church. And uh, Pastor Tim's going to speak next week. Uh, my name is Drew Askew. I'm the youth pastor here. And it is my joy today to bring you God's word. Do you have your Bibles with you today? I hope that you do, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that's where we're going to be today. So go ahead and um, grab your Bibles and turn them on and get there. Um, and we're going to be in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This past couple weeks, I got the great opportunity to go meet my new niece, all right? My sister just had a baby, and uh, it was awesome. Her name's Quinn, and she's just the cutest little thing ever. And my, my sister lives in Las Vegas. You obviously cannot drive there. You would be crazy to do that. So I flew there in a plane. And it was remarkable. As I was there in that plane, I was reminded of the weird phenomenon that we were in in that moment. How we took off in the runway, how we flew in the air, and we landed. And you know what everybody was doing around me? They weren't cheering. They weren't Hooping and hollering, you know what they were doing? <laughs> Chilling. Nothing. It was numb. We've flown so many times that people around didn't even know what was going on. We were going 500-some miles an hour. Sorry for plane enthusiasts who will tell me I'm wrong, whatever it is. We're going so fast. We're in a metal tube, 30,000 feet in the air, all just inches from the atmospheric pressure outside. We could die instantly. And everybody's just reading a book calmly. That's kind of messed up, and that's kind of weird. It's a modern miracle. And that's my caution to you, is that we're going to read a passage that you've heard a lot. You've probably talked about it a lot. And you can probably, if you've been in church, you can probably quote it by heart. But I want you to try to listen to it fresh today. Don't be a plain passenger unimpressed with the thing that's going on. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make this text fresh for us. Lord, that our, 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 ears would, our, our ears wouldn't be stale to this and our hearts wouldn't be turned off to what you have to say to us. I pray that we would be molded by your spirit and that we would be called to obedience. And Lord, that we would do great things for your kingdom because of the work that you're doing here at Bethel, in this community, and in our city. Father, we ask that you would be in this time now as your word is preached. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I was tasked with, with, the, uh, with the goal of explaining to you what the mission of the church is, okay? The mission of the church. Pretty easy task, right? Not a big deal. So um, we'll see if we can, we can accomplish that today. I, I, I'm sure we will. This text is clear on what the mission of the church is. And I'm going to kind of give you a spoiler here. I want you to know the main idea before we even start. 
because I want you to see it throughout the text. So if you've got your notebook with you or your notes app on your phone, as I tell my students, get there, and I want you to write down the main idea. It's not going to be on the screen, so you've got to pay attention here, okay? It's got to go in your heart. And I want you to think about it in terms of personal my mission. So my mission is to make disciples, mark disciples, mature disciples, and multiply disciples. My mission is to make disciples, mark disciples, mature disciples, and multiply disciples. That is my mission. You know, Jesus first comes to them and says, this is, this is, this is post-resurrection, pre-ascension, so they definitely have an ear bent to what he has to say, even more so than often. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says, go therefore. Well, anytime, as good Bible readers we are, anytime we see a therefore, we got to see why it's therefore. Okay? And the reason it's there is because God has given Jesus all authority to say what he's about to say. Right? I have some authority as a parent, right? When I tell Jovi what to do, my little daughter, she's three years old, I have some authority, right? Do this. Sometimes she doesn't listen, most of the time, right? But God himself, the Godhead, something crazy happens that the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit has given Jesus all authority to say this. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, it's something we don't really focus when we talk about the Great Commission. We want to skip to the to go, therefore, and make disciples. But I'm telling you, Jesus has all authority. And this means a couple things for us. That he has all authority, and we should submit to that authority. And why is that important? Because he gives us the power to complete the task. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God just doesn't tell you what to do without giving you the power to do so. You guys believe that? Whatever he has called you to do, he will give you all the tools, all the ability, all the patience, everything you need to accomplish the task. Imagine if I told my three-year-old daughter to take the car around the block, right? She couldn't reach the pedals. She, couldn't, she probably wouldn't even know how to turn on. She probably wouldn't even know where to put the keys, right? She would just jingle them in the air and say, ha, ah, right? She wouldn't even know what to do. She would be utterly, she would fail miserably, right? But imagine if I coached her up and I told her and I was with her and I gave her all the tools that she needed to be and I gave her some, 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 some phone books to sit on and I gave her some blocks like in, um, in Indiana Jones, right, where short round gets the on the pedals, puts the blocks there, right? Where, you, where she's able to do that, and I teach her, right? And maybe not now, but she will be able to do that. See, God will give you everything you need to complete the task, and that's very important when it comes to Jesus giving um, us this command and saying he has all authority to do so. The first thing I want us to look at here, first point here, it's on the screen, that I've been given a mission to make disciples. Can you guys repeat that? I've been given a mission to make disciples. Thank you, robots. You guys sound awesome. All right. There's something unique when he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go. There's initiative, right? There's initiative. There's intentionality just in that one little word, go. We should go 
and therefore make disciples, right? This is something that's incredibly important. As we think about what does the Great Commission look like for our life? Should we wait for people to ask us what's different about me? Should we wait for people to say, hey, that person's different. I'm going to ask him why he's different. You're not that impressive. Okay? You know who is impressive? Jesus. That's the person who's impressive. We point people to Jesus. If you're waiting around for people to say, oh, that person's different, it's not going to work that way. If it is, it's because of God's grace. We should not think that people are going to come and say, oh, that person's different. I, I need to ask them what's, what's different. We should go and take the gospel to everyone around us. Did you know right now that you are making disciples? Do you guys know that? That right now you are making disciples. You have influence. You give people advice. People ask you questions. You have followers, whether in your own home or at work or on Facebook. You have friends that you post statuses and people have listened to you. What kind of disciples are you making? Are you making disciples that love Jesus and treasure him most? Or are you making disciples that will vote the same way as you? Or are you making disciples that will be aligned with you? Are you making disciples that will agree with you? Our mission is to not have people agree with us. Our mission is to bring Jesus to them and to make disciples. Now, probably the biggest reason for us not making disciples, our biggest kind of setback is fear. Right? Would you guys agree with that? Our biggest setback is fear. And I just want to spend a few minutes on this because I think it's incredibly important for fear not to grip us when it comes to making disciples, right? There are three fears that I kind of see as categories of which we are tempted to not share the gospel in moments. The first one, fear of rejection or man. You can write that down. Fear or reje- of rejection or man. Fear of not knowing enough and fear of your past failure. So fear of rejection or man, fear of not knowing enough, and fear of your past failure. When it comes to fear of rejection or man, we need to have three things that guide our gospel conversations. We need to have a right expectation. We need to have a right identity and a right treasure. For us to combat the notion that we should be afraid of man or afraid of rejection, afraid of what people will say, we need to know that our expectation as Christians is that we will be persecuted. People will hate us. They will not like what we have to say. Hey, it turns out when you tell people that they have sin and they need Jesus, they don't like that. But the gospel in and of itself is offensive but we should not be ashamed of it. Romans 1.16, right? We should not be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power unto salvation. And when we have fear of man, we're not having the right expectation. We're thinking that we should relatively have an easy conversation as if we're talking about cardinal baseball or something like that. Calling people to repentance is not an easy task, but it's worth it. People will malign you. You might lose some friends. 
We live in a great country where freedom, you have the freedom right now to meet in this building. You You have the freedom to share the gospel with whomever you want. But sometimes, in a weird, sick way, that has prohibited us to share the gospel more frequently. And I don't know why. One of those reasons is because we're too fed up with what people think about us. We've got to lay that aside and know that we cannot be afraid of man. You've got to have a right identity, too. So not only a right expectation that people will persecute you, but your identity has to be in Christ, not what people think of you, right? Your identity is in Christ. You live out of that. If you try to share the gospel to be a good person, well, that's not going to work. You've got to love Jesus and love others. You live out of the love that you have for Jesus. You behold him in every way. You worship just like we prayed for. We praise him by sharing his name with people. I can't think of a more beautiful thing where you are talking about Jesus in conversation and bringing him up and saying what he's done for you and your testimony. What a place of worship. Worship is not just standing and singing to screens. It is sharing the gospel, making him known, glorifying his name, putting him high, talking about him often. That is what it looks like to live a worship-filled life, that we are on mission with Jesus to make disciples. you got to have a right treasure to combat the fear of man. We kind of hit on this earlier, but I want to really focus in here. This is probably the hard one. The reality is, if you boil it down to the reason why you're not bringing Jesus up in conversations and why you're not sharing the gospel, it's because you treasure something other than Jesus in that moment. If you truly treasure Jesus and you want him to be your everything, wouldn't you talk about him all the time? You guys know that feeling, right? When you're in a conversation and you feel almost like a pit in your stomach, right? Like, oh, God wants me to share the gospel with this person. How often do you take that? How often are you obedient to that? To God's call to share the gospel with people. Let me let you in on a secret. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. For your heart to think and to have a feeling that you should share the gospel with somebody that might be from God himself. Because your heart by itself does not think that way. You understand? Your heart does not think, oh, i got to be on mission. I've got, to, I've got to love God. I've got to share the gospel with this person. Your heart would rather be selfish and not do that. But if you feel a call, don't quench the spirit. Obey and watch God work. So that's the fear of rejection. I want to just point that out. Next here, one of the reasons we don't make disciples is our fear of not knowing enough. Three things I want you to know. You do know enough. You are not enough, but God is enough. Okay? You do know enough. You are not enough, but God is enough. You know enough. If you were saved this morning by hearing God's word and answering his call to repentance and faith, you have everything you need to share the gospel this afternoon at lunch. 
You do. You have everything you need. You can explain to people what just happened, that Jesus has taken over your life, that you have a new leader in your heart, that you have a new boss, that your allegiance is with Jesus. I can't explain it. That's just who I follow. It's who I love. This is what he's done for me. And so often we're, 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 we're in, our, our feet are in concrete when it comes to, oh my gosh, what are they going to say? What answers do I have to answer? Uh, what questions do I have to answer? Are they going to ask me a question I don't know? You know enough. Secondly, you are not enough. Those things kind of seem like they don't go together, but they do. Because if you think that you're enough and your sales pitch is going to get people to heaven, that's just not going to work. You've got to fall on your face and ask God to save the people that you're around. Submit to his authority and ask God to help you. He's the one that needs to be in the mix. Maybe one of the reasons we're not seeing a lot of people come to Jesus is because we're trying to do it ourselves. We've got to invite him into conversations. We've got to pray for him to work because he will. He's faithful to do so. And lastly, God is enough. He is enough. God will save. You do know enough. You are not enough. But God is enough. He works in the hearts of those that you share with, and they, by God's grace and God working and tilling the soil in their evil heart, they proclaim faith and they follow Jesus because of what God is doing in their heart, not because of the fancy things that you said or how great you walk or how many times you go to church. It is a miracle that's happened in their heart. And when we get away from that, our gospel-sharing mouths go quiet. We've got to continue to keep God on the forefront of these conversations, on the forefront of our life. And that's when God works, is when we make him the author and perfecter of our faith. Yes, Lastly here, what, what, what combats the idea of that we're given a mission to make disciples is you will be gripped sometimes by the fear of your past failure. Can I ask you a question? It's fine if you don't answer. I'm going to ask it anyway, I guess. Why is it hardest to share the gospel with people we love most? We see a homeless person on the street, and we're like, that person needs to know Jesus. But our cousin at Thanksgiving... That's not something to bring up. One of the reasons is the people that you live close with and you walk with, they know things about you. Amen. You guys know what I'm talking about. Amen. Your best friend in high school, they've walked with you. They've seen immature you, maybe before Christ you. They've sinned with you. And you feel like because they know that, if you share the gospel with them, they just know too much about me. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want them to know, or I don't want them to see. I don't want them to point out. I have no standing to stand on. Well, let me tell you, you don't share the gospel standing on your past life. You share the gospel standing on the shoulders of Jesus. Amen. That's who you stand on, and that's the power. 
right? You don't need to be saved at six to share the gospel with people. You can have a rough and tough past, but God will use you. He will use your past failure for his glory. Amen? We have a mission. I'm a a football coach at Triad, and our mission is to win football games, right? And we understand that. Offense, defense, players understand that. We practice for it. We run plays. We lift. Maybe not me, but we, the players do. <laughs> they lift weights. We all have an understanding what it takes to win. We try to move the ball down the field. We try to stop the opposing team from moving the ball down the field. Each player has a vital role. role. And each coach puts a strategy together. Imagine if each player and each coach had a different mission. And that their mission was something totally different. That maybe they didn't want to win, but they wanted to do something else. They wanted to run a certain play, or they wanted to tackle this certain person. Whatever it is, right? We've got to be on mission together. We are better as a team. Our mission is to make disciples. So my application for you in this point as far as my mission in making disciples, is you and I should make every intention to share the gospel. Well, duh. No. Make every intention. Did you hear me? Make every intention. Be intentional. Sometimes when you hear stuff like this, you're tempted to be like, oh, I need to join a club, or I need to do something new, or add something to my schedule. I'm telling you, there are dead people walking all around you. And you've got every opportunity right now as it sits to be intentional with them and share Christ with them. Do you believe in a sovereign God? Do you believe that everybody is appointed around you for a reason? Do you believe that the only way to salvation is through Christ? Amen. Then you share Christ with them, with those around you. You share the gospel at work. The things you're already doing, right, at work. You got to eat, right? When's the last time you've had a non-believer in your home? Been hospitable to them. Showed them grace. Prayed around the table with them. Soccer games, when you're sitting in the lawn chairs, hanging out, watching your kids play soccer. Be intentional. Mom groups, when you meet on Saturday morning. Saturday golf with the boys. You've got to be intentional. We're on mission. We're not just on mission to make our golf swing better. We're on mission to make disciples. And when I look back on my life, and maybe this is true for you too, when it comes to mission trips, when it comes to going on mission, I can see moments in my life where God has just grown me exponentially. And you know what a common denominator is in those moments? I share the gospel frequently. This is not a pat in the back thing. This is true for all of us. There's no coincidence there. When you make Christ known, he will make himself known to you and to those around you. You know, you can't sit there and be frustrated with the culture. This world's gone mad. This country's crazy. It's not like it used to be. Maybe the reason why you've seen God not work is because you've stopped talking about him. You want to talk about other things. You want to talk about politics. You want to talk about this or that. You want to see God work? You share his name, and you watch him work. That's the way it's designed for us. So get back on mission. Reel it in, right? The fundamentals. 
Football practice, we go over footwork every day. The players hate it. It's so boring to them. But footwork is important. My dad used to say, repetition is no fun, but it's the reason why we've won. We get back to the mission to make disciples. Next, I've been given a mission to mark disciples. I say it out loud with me. I've been given a mission to mark disciples. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We have a design that God has given us that when we make disciples, we bring them in. We bring them in into a family. You were designed to be in a church family. You cannot do it on your own. This is not a Jesus and you religion. You are not a Christian mercenary working for the most, you know, for the best hire. You are to be brought into a family, and this is where you were designed to have biblical community. Not the gym or Facebook page. The church is where your soul is nourished, not some random celebrity pastor podcast. You are made to be here. You are made to grow here. You are marked by this beautiful thing called baptism. And when you are baptized, you are baptized into a family. You are adopted into this mess that we call church. All your brothers and sisters, you're mine. And I'm yours. Whether you like it or not, we're brothers and sisters. We are living this life together. And it's going to be messy. But we fight for each other. And we fight for relationships. And we fight for peace. And we fight for the mission. You belong here. I want you to know that you belong here. You do. And when you're not here, the body suffers. We were made to work together as a unit, as a team, who's on one mission. And our mission is to make disciples and mark disciples. Well, I would, I would love the church if it weren't for the people. That just doesn't go together, right? You can't say you love God and not love his people. Those two things go together. I want to say this, too. This is incredibly important that you would be marked through baptism. Incredibly important. And I want to say this as gently but as seriously as, seriously as I can. If you say you love Jesus, but you don't want to get baptized, there's some serious questions I have for you. Amen. Jesus saves you, and he gives you a great first step of obedience to be baptized, to be brought into a family. You've got to start asking some questions. Do I love Jesus most? Do I love Jesus most? It's not optional. It's essential. Right. Baptism is essential. Right. Unless you're the thief on the cross, which I don't think we are. But if you have every ability and opportunity to be baptized... Ah, and it's not for me. I don't want to get it in front of people, or I'm not sure about it. Are you going to withstand judgment? I'm serious. Don't delay. Be marked in this church. Be baptized by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my call for you this morning. 
Where does your allegiance lie when it comes to that? Yeah, I know that I'm supposed to be a part of a church. Yeah, we've heard that a lot. I know I'm supposed to be in community. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. I was baptized when I was seven. Yeah, I, I got this. Next point, right? I got this. Check. What does your life look like right now? What grips you? What compels you? What competes for your worship? What competes for your biblical community? Do you live like you've been marked as a new creation? Do you live like you've been brought from death to life? This is your identity, that you've been made a disciple. At some point, through the grace of God, someone has shared the gospel with you, and God has worked in your heart for you to proclaim faith, and you have been marked through baptism into the family of God, and you are a new creation. Do you live with that resurrection power? Think about a helium balloon bouquet or bouquet. I didn't know how I was going to say that, so I might as well say it both ways. A helium balloon bouquet, right? If you're, if you're filling up those helium balloons, how good would it be if you just filled one up, tied it off, let it go? Okay, next one. You grabbed one from the bag, filled it up, off into the air it goes. A child's worst nightmare, right? Oh, you know, grab another one. You're making balloons, and you're marking them. But what's more impressive, that they go up in the sky... And then where do they end up? They fall into a field somewhere. What's more impressive, if, if we bring those helium balloons into a giant bouquet that you can see for miles, that everybody notices, that thing is sweet. We're brought together. We are a team. We can do more when we're together. And it's God's design for us to be together. People can see it. They're impressed with it. And in fact, we might get so big as people start to hang on, we lift them up. That is God's design. So my application for you in this point is that you would live like a marked soul, that you would bring others in, that you would live out of your identity, and that you would bring others into the faith. When you share the gospel, you're not just sharing the gospel for people to be saved, you're, you're bringing them into a family. Don't just let them go. Jump. Fight for, fight for that balloon to come back. Get on a plane if you have to and meet it halfway in the air and bring it back down to that bouquet. That is what the family of God looks like. Next, I've been given a mission to mature disciples. I've been given a mission to mature disciples. Together now, ready? I've been given a mission to mature disciples. Fantastic teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what's our M so far? Ready? Make, mark, and mature. All right, fantastic. You should mature personally. You should be mature others, and you should be able to be matured. Does that make sense? You should mature, be matured, and mature others. Hebrews 10, 19 through 31, we read this often, but it's so important. I thought it would be great to read again in this context that we are to do this, and this passage tells us great here. So Hebrews 10, 19 through 31, if you want to get there, it won't be on the screen, so you've got to listen up here or find in your Bible. So that's Hebrews 10, 19 through 31. 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through, the, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean with an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Basically, that's what God has done for you. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another into love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We should stir each other up to good works. Part of your responsibility and privilege of being a Christian is that you get to provoke one another to good works. You get to stir one another, one another up. You've get, you, you get to poke the bear, right? You get to poke them along into maturity, lovingly and gently. But that's what you get to do. And I want you to read this next part. We really don't really talk about this often, but I want to bring this up to you. 26 to 31. Listen here. It's a really clear warning for you and me. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, is no, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think? will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the sons of God and who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Clear warning, not a fun warning, but a clear warning. Christian, you need to mature. You need to. By the grace of God, you cannot sit stagnant. You cannot grow stale. You've got to keep pressing onward and finish the race. Pursue God with everything you have. Because there's a clear example here that if we keep on sinning deliberately, there is no sacrifice for our sins. Kind of a punch to the gut, isn't it? And that's not my purpose, to punch you in the gut. But it's to wake you up. That this life is movement. God just doesn't save you for, the, for you to remain comfortable. He saves you and then keeps on saving you through sanctification for you to become like his son, Jesus. That's his design. And if you've been saved but you're not growing or maturing, we have to ask questions. Do you love Jesus at all? Is he the one that you truly live for? So we should strive for maturity. Maturity, we should strive for that. And one more note, we should strive for maturity before crisis hits. We strive for maturity today for the storms of today and tomorrow. So many, I've heard crisis situations, and they are not able to handle it because they sat idle for too long. 
your theology matters. What you know to be true about God matters because it affects the way that you worship him every day. It affects the way that you handle crisis in your, in your life. The God that we serve is not a small God. He is a big God, a very large God. And the way that you handle crisis in moments of tension reveals just how big of God you believe in. You believe in a large God, you know that the crisis and the suffering that you're currently going through is because God himself loves you enough for you to grow. Amen. He does. He loves you enough, and he will spare no expense for your sanctification. He spent his own son for your salvation. Amen. He will spare no expense for you to become more like him. Whether it's cancer, death, a pandemic, loss of a job, financial instability, children not behaving, children going wayward, chronic disease, whatever it is, God is in it. You've got to believe in a big God. Amen. Your spiritual fortuitiveness demands it. You should be a strong disciple. And too often, we're always throwing excuses at God. You know, once I retire, then I'll have, then I'll have time to serve the church. Once my kids are through this busy soccer season, then we'll have people over for dinner to share Jesus with them. When I'm ready to forgive, then I'll forgive. I couldn't worship today because the music was too loud. I just can't get into the whole community group thing right now. Community group thing, it's just not for me. I'm too busy to meet with somebody right now. I've got a lot of stuff going on. Folks, I've got students 6th through 12th grade, who would love mentorship right now in a crazy world? Who needs you? Think about mentorship, that your life is just not to come in here and to worship and to just soak it all in, but you are to serve. We've got children and students who are growing up in a different world that you've grown up in, and they need you, and everybody needs you. That older women will be teaching younger women, and older men will be teaching younger men, this is part of the design that we would mature other disciples. Don't have any excuses. It's, it's, that's silly. What God has done for you, all the things that he's done for you, you should be willing and able to serve him and serve his church. Think about a sponge, a big yellow sponge. All right? You put it in that bucket, you soak it up. Maybe it makes that noise, I don't know. And then you use it for cleaning, whatever you're using it for, maybe wiping off grout, whatever it is. And then you wring it back out into that bucket. What happens when you soak it up and you just leave it on the counter for a bit? It doesn't get, it gets what? It gets stinky. It gets smelly. It gets moldy. And then can you use that? No, you'd be a crazy person to use that. No, it's not useful. It's moldy, it's smelly, it's not going to clean whatever you're supposed to clean. Some of us have been sitting and soaking for too long. Y'all starting to smell a little stanky. A little moldy. I've been guilty too. 
We've sat and soaked too long. You were made to be nourished and then to be wrung out. To serve his church with everything you have. Jesus himself didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life ransom for many. We, too, should do that. Don't get moldy. Don't get stale. Don't just listen, come here and sing songs and go about your day. Right? We should strive for obedience. One of the signs that you are immaturing or that you are getting moldy and smelly is that you become a critic and not a participant. Your afternoons after church, they start looking like a Yelp review instead of obedience. Yeah, I liked the sermon today. Yeah, I didn't like this part. It wasn't, you know, or the worship, this song, it wasn't really sitting with me well. It's kind of slow, right? Yeah, and the drums were loud on this one. Yeah, I couldn't pay attention there. It's time for you to stop evaluating the worship that you see and start evaluating how you worship here. You're frustrated because your kids don't love Jesus? Do they see you worship like you love Jesus? Do you come in here with hearts abandoned, ready to worship the king that saved you? Or is this just routine for you? It's a Sunday morning. Walk in the park. Does this cultivate obedience in you? Or does it cultivate bitterness? Don't become an evaluator. It's easy to cast judgment on the sideline. As a football coach, I hear it all the time. Pass the ball more. He ran the ball up the middle. Why do they do that? There's a design to it. Don't cast judgment from the sideline. Get involved. Come on. Participate. This is God's design for you. You're, you're really missing out if you don't participate. You're going to get moldy and smelly. And you're not going to be useful. Be wrung out. Take a step of obedience and faith. Yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But you were made to mature and to mature other disciples. So what's our M so far? Ready? Make, mark, mature, and now multiply. I have been given a mission to multiply disciples. Ready? I've been given a mission to multiply disciples. This process, as he says here, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's always with you. To the end of the age. That's pretty cool. That he's always with you. He gives you a great promise. Not only has he given you all the tools and abilities to fulfill the mission, but he promises you're gonna, he's going to be right there. We accomplish his mission with God's help. With, with him holding our hand the whole way. That we should do this to the end of the age. You know, how you save disciples is what you're saving them to. Does that make sense? How you save disciples is, is what you're saving them to. If you save disciples in a weak way that kind of paints Christianity as this, yo, yeah, you can have this. Yeah, you don't have to do that right away. You don't have to, you know, tithe right away. You don't have to give your life, you know. You can kind of just ease yourself into it, right? Take what you want. 
Like you're strolling down the grocery aisle. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that. Oh, that's too expensive. I'll put that back. I found a cheaper one over here. We are to multiply disciples in the way that Jesus has told us, which is Christ crucified. That is how we multiply disciples. Think of it like this, where Jovi, when she was younger, she's three now, but when she was younger, we'd go, she would love going to the park. It would actually create so many tantrums for us because she hated to leave, but you know, we, just, we knew that she loved it. So we went to the park, the Troy Park. I don't know if you've been to the one by the pavilion by the lake there. Um, and there's like a, a bridge from structure to structure, okay? And babies, okay, she might have been two years old. They had this weird thing that they're, they don't care how high it is, how dangerous it is. They're like, yeah, I want to do that. And you're like, but there's a slide right here that's like three feet tall that you'll be just fine. And they're like, she's like, nope, I got this one. Okay, so she goes up there, and she used to be so scared. It's cautious. We have a cautious little child, and it makes things easier for us. Sometimes it's frustrating. Because I remember when she was two, and she wanted to do this because she saw all the other friends do it, but she wouldn't do it because she was scared. And I'm right there. I'm holding her hand. I'm like, you'll be fine. You can do it. Take a step. You got it. You got it, Jovi. Come on. Mommy's cheering her on in the background. Jovi, Jovi. Yeah, you can do it. Take a step across this little bridge thing. And she can't do it. She won't do it. And, she, and as a dad, I'm like, ah, oh, come on, you know, like in the moment, almost frustrated with it. Come on, you can do it. I'm right here. You're not going to get hurt. You got it, right, my cautious little child. You can do it. My wife's like, hey, it's fine. She doesn't have to do it. She can do it. She's going to do it. Right? I got her hand. She's not going to fall. And now, three, we went to the park this past week, and she's walking across it like she's been doing it her whole life. Right? But I'm still right there because I don't know when she's going to fall. I'm right there walking her from point A to point B. Jesus is the same way. Some of us are still at that ledge, and Jesus is right here saying, you can do it. You can be on mission with me. I got you. I got your hand. You're not going to fall. And when you do, I'll pick you back up. He's there with us. He's on mission with us. He loves us. And he is there to make sure that we complete the mission. He began a good work in you. He will finish it. He began a good work in this world. He will finish it. He will redeem the world, and he uses us to do that. That's pretty cool. You and I... Did you know this? We have lost brothers and sisters out there. If you found out that you had a lost brother and sister, like you just found out you had a brother or sister you didn't know about, what would you do? You'd go out to meet them. You would ask everything about them. You would meet them where they're at. You would fly to them. You would, you would say, hey, come to our Christmas. We want you to be a part of it, whatever. The family of God kind of works like that. That before the foundation of the world, God has marked those through his loving grace and sovereign control to believe in him. And we have lost brothers and sisters out there who are looking for the family of God. And it's our role just to open our mouth and let the gospel fall out. It's our role to show them what God has done for us. And there's something special happens that when we do that, God works in their heart in a special way to produce faith and obedience. We have lost brothers and sisters out there. At lunch, 
today. Your waitress or waiter, they might be your lost brother or sister that needs to hear the good news of Jesus. When you're going through the drive-thru at Taco Bell, I love Taco Bell, that person might be a lost brother or sister. Do you believe in a sovereign God like that? The person you're sitting at a bench with at the park as you're watching your children play, could they be a lost brother or sister? I don't know. Find out. Ask them. Have you heard about Jesus? Do you love Jesus? That's the mission of the church. You know, I'll, uh, I'll conclude with this here. Right now, you are pursue, pursuing a mission. Similar to everybody's making disciples right now, but right now you are pursuing a mission. Is it the mission of God? John Calvin said that our hearts are idol factories, constantly making more idols to worship. You were made to worship. God's made you that way. That's a good thing. He's made you to worship and to love him most. Your heart never remains idle like a boat waiting in the marina. It's always... It's always pursuing things, dreams, life, jobs, money, satisfaction, comfort. It's always pursuing things. Don't think that your heart is just chilling. It's a youth pastor term, right? It's always pursuing something. What mission are you pursuing right now? Is it God's mission? Are you on mission to make disciples, to mark disciples into the family of faith? to mature other disciples in the family of faith and to multiply disciples till he comes back? Is that your mission? Let it be today. If this is your first time here at church or maybe you've never really understood who Jesus is, I want you to understand and I want you to hear me that Jesus is there with an open hand. He's ready to receive you. When you proclaim faith and repentance, faith in what he has done for you, that he has died on the cross for your sins, that he has rose again in resurrection power, and that you will claim your allegiance to him more than anything else, his hands open. All you have to do is respond in faith and repentance and watch him work. Watch him work. Can I get an amen for those who are Christians? Amen. You can't know the power of God through faith and repentance. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you right now. We are so thankful, Lord, that you've given us a clear mission. Father, we are thankful for everything that you do for us. Father, I pray, Lord, I pray for my church. I pray, Lord, that we would not be stale and stagnant, but that we would walk towards obedience, that we would walk towards repentance, Father, that you would keep on saving us just like you saved us from the beginning. Make your salvation new and real to us each every morning. Father, I pray for this time of worship. If there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, I pray that they would respond today with faith and repentance, turning from their sin and trusting in you fully. Father, may we respond in this worship time like we love you most. May we not be scared to put our hands up scared to sing loudly, scared of what our neighbor might think. May you be glorified in this moment. May we behold your face like you are the king and author and perfecter of our faith. Would you bless this time of worship? Amen.